0: Good morning, if you would, turn in your Bibles to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 1, and uh, you, you may want to, like, press down on Exodus, because, like, make it to where it, your Bible creases to there, because we'll be in Exodus for a while. I am so excited about that. Uh, so delighted to be back with my church family today. Sometimes um, one week away is like uh, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't feel like that much, but for me, that one week felt really long. Felt a long time to, to be away uh, from you and from our church family. Um, but I'm I'm so glad to be back. Today we will begin a new series in the book of Exodus. And, and really, there will be like six subsections of the series. And uh, so this kind of section of the book of Exodus, we'll, we'll call preparation for delivery. Uh, in, in fact, uh, this story is a continuation from the story of the book of Genesis. It, it just continues on. What, what you see when you look at verse 1, right, it says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. If you go back to Genesis, right, this is, this is the, the tail end of what happens with, when Joseph brings his father and his brothers back, uh, really rescuing them. Uh, when they were in famine, is providing for them. But something just interesting is that it's argued that the first word in the book of Exodus in in the original language, was actually the word and. And these are the names of the sons of Israel. The reason that that's important is it's literally it's just it's a it's a still going. It's a the story just continues. So if your Bible was like mine, uh, then then all of the books of the Bible start at the top of the page, and so there's a blank space at the bottom of of Genesis. But in in many ways, it's like oh this just. Genesis fifty uh, verse twenty six. So Joseph died, being one hundred and ten years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. And these are the name of the sons of Israel. Does that make sense? So just it's this continuation of the story. Yes, there were seventy some odd people at the end of Genesis, and so you you get uh, these first couple verses verse 2 through 5, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Isaacar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Now, 70 might be more a number of completion, so don't, don't get wrapped up in the number, whether it was a precise number 70. Some would argue that like while seven is a number of completion and 10 is a number of completion, then you got seven times 10, you get 70. That's That means like all of the family, okay? Everybody's there, whether it's exactly 70 or not. What this really means is that the complete family is there. There's no one left behind. Everybody came. And so it's, it's more likely that it's 70 men plus women and children. But nonetheless, when you fast forward we to what happens, if you know much, of, like spoiler alert, they exit in Exodus, okay? And so uh, there's over 600,000 men, 603,550 to be precise, according to the book of Numbers, that are counted at the end. So some 400 years, like they grew. Right? He says, yes, y'all are not near as excited about this as I am. Okay, this, this is good, okay? So here's what happens there. They're fruitful and multiplied and filled the earth. This is a call back to Genesis. Like, this is them fulfilling what they were called to do. And we'll get more to that in just a minute. The, like This book, the book of Exodus, redemption, salvation, deliverance, those are the themes of this book. But I want to make something really, really clear. This book is not about Moses. This book is not about Pharaoh. This is a book about God. And God's handiwork, God's plan, God's move. This is a story, yes, of of the birth of a nation and a people of God. Think of it like a new birth, right? I mean, think about the imagery that's displayed. Terrible labor pains. Born even after the birth happens through blood and water. The birth of a baby comes through blood and water and the birth of this nation comes through the blood of Passover and the water of the Red Sea. Even the word deliverance, to deliver, delivery. As they grow, they're taught how to live and how to walk and what to do and what not to do. This is exactly what it's like to raise a child. You're giving the child boundaries. God just calls those the Ten Commandments. Exodus is is like shouting at the top of her lungs, you need God. You need God to get out of slavery. You need God to cross the Red Sea. You need God to have food and water. You need God to establish order. You need God. So here's what I'm praying. I've been praying this for weeks now. I'm planning to continue to pray. I'm praying that at the end of this year, we as a church will, like when we when we close Exodus, yes, you heard that right. The, we're gonna be here for a while. As we close Exodus, that we as a church will become intimately acquainted with the reality of our need for God. That's but that will resonate with us. And it will cause us to lean all the more on him. So, in this, what we're going to do today is kind of, like we normally do, we're just going to kind of walk through the text, seeing piece by piece um, what, what the Lord has to tell us, really, about himself and about his people. And so first, we'll see the value of new life. The value of new life. See, we are a people, like the people of God, the people of the church. We're a people who believe that new life is intrinsically valuable. Like, because it is life, in fact, that all life is valuable. We believe that life... like. In the womb is valuable. We believe that life throughout all of life, every age and stage of someone's being is important. It's it's valuable to us. You see, the people of God are designed to be fruitful and multiply. Look at at, uh, verse six and following. So it says that then Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Like even in this one verse, uh, there's five different ways of stating like kind of this fruitful language, right? So they use the word fruitful then it says increased greatly and it says multiplied, grew exceedingly and filled the earth. Like the land was filled. God is fulfilling his promise that he made all the way back in Genesis. Like remember when it starts, it's just Abraham and Sarai or Abram and Sarai. There's there's no descendants at all. Then you fast forward, you get By the end of Genesis, you get around 70 plus, and now they are being fruitful and multiplying and increasing greatly and growing exceedingly and filling. You see, the the people of God are, are designed in this way. This all, this stems back to the creation mandate. Genesis 128, God blessed them said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish. So we understand that this has two references though. Yes, it is a biological reference. Actually fill the earth with people, right? This is the task given to the mandate given to Adam and Eve. Like go produce more people and that they will produce more people and more people and more people. We have seen that come to fruition. If you haven't, checked the latest census, there's more people here in the world today than in all of human history, okay? We, we're following that part, so, right? But there's, a, there's actually an evangelical spin to this, like a, a part of us that, that understands that this command to be fruitful and multiply goes beyond that. It goes beyond the creation mandate and connects us to the Great Commission, Right? That's why Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jerry mentioned just a little while ago that we are desire to be a sending church. Like this is who we are. We believe this is part of what God has called us to do. And so even in just a little while, uh, Diana Way will, will stand before us and we will pray over her, pray for her as we commission her. Why, why? Why is that? Why is it that we send teams and families to other countries? Why? Because we believe we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply, not just biologically, but we're supposed to share this good news. Now, even though the people of God are designed to be fruitful and multiply, the enemies of God always desire to kill and destroy. Like this is this is what's taking place right here at the beginning of Exodus. There's this intentional uh, reminder in verse eight. There arose a new. I mean, verse six. There arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Uh, this is. Indicating two things. One, that it had been a little while. And two, that he did not know the ways of Joseph. Did not know the the value that Joseph brought. Did not appreciate the people of Israel. This whole nation that was kind of taking them over. So in verse 8, this new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many, too mighty Come let us deal shrewdly with them lest they multiply and if war breaks out they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Here's what he's saying. Let's let's deal real harshly with them so that they won't even have the energy to reproduce. We're just going to make life really hard for them. Dealing shrewdly with them they're going to put them in slavery. It's... This uh, is echoed in describing our chief enemy, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Like, think about this. This is some of the earliest instances that we see of, of very like particular racism, right? This is one people saying we don't like this other people purely because they're, they don't, they're not like us, whatever that means. Now, they've just been living in the land. It doesn't appear that they've been doing anything wrong. In fact, they were helpful. Joseph was helpful to keeping the Egyptians alive for all those years, right? Not just bringing his 70, but bringing the Egyptians. He brought good to them. And now, now this, this is a demonstration that, that there is racism at this early state. Verse 11, therefore they set taskmasters over them. That's like slave masters to afflict them with heavy burdens. And, and so these people, the Israelites, had to build for Pharaoh cities. They, they tried to spread them out. Like, hey, maybe if they're not in close proximity to each other, we're gonna put them in these different places. Python and Ramses. These are these are different parts of the country. This was like the reverse plan of Babel, right? The people were doing well when they were all together. So uh, the pharaoh's like, "Hey, we're gonna spread them out, and maybe they maybe they won't be able to do quite as much because they won't be as powerful." They're going to try to destroy them. It doesn't work. Like this, this spreading out doesn't work. So in verse 13, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, made their lives bitter and hard service and mortar and brick and all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. When it talks about this uh, working with bricks like, and, and working in the field, they would have been, like, they would have been dirty, filthy workers. The type of brick work would have, would have caused them to, to smell. Like in, and certainly the work in the field, we're talking about uh, this, this type of deliberate work was given to them, forced upon them. They're, they're kind of with their thumb pressed on them. Now, this does not sound like valuing life. In fact, this is the opposite of that. And this is is the indicator of the work of the enemy because it is the work of the enemy that, that seeks out to destroy. It is the work of the enemy that demeans another person at all. It is the work of the enemy that says that one person's life is less valuable than another person's life, regardless of why they choose that. But what we see here is not just the value of new life, but we also see the value of all life. In this text, we'll, we'll see how, in just a moment, how these two uh, particular midwives who get named, uh, how they help us see the value of all life. You see, the people of God, they work to preserve life. People of God work to preserve life. They don't, they're not innocent bystanders. The people of God are, are involved in preserving life, cherishing new life, not just looking at it and saying, hey, I, I like that, but actually doing what it takes to uh, preserve life. So, so listen, verses 15 and following. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named. Uh, I'm not gonna say this right, but just go with me. Shiphrah And the other, Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives, listen to this, feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So when the king of Egypt came, called the midwives, And said to them, why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, well, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife even comes to them. Not true. (laughs) I mean, it might have been for some of them, but that's not the point. Like they're just saying, so God dealt with the midwives. And we'll see that. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. Consider just for a moment then. How this, these just few verses would affect our understanding of the value of life. This, this should affect how we think of things like abortion, right? I mean, we should have a, a different understanding of abortion because of this, or even just the end of life scenarios, in fact, I just this is a, a point of um, a side note. I, I think that issues like the value of life, sanctity of life, racism that I've just mentioned, sexuality, identity, uh, even poverty, all of these things are things that are, uh, should be on our minds as believers. And if you're like me... Uh, It it takes a lot to try to wrestle through some of that, and so in February, on Sunday nights in February, uh, we're going to have a teaching series specifically about this, Gospel Answers for Cultural Concerns, and so I want to encourage you, maybe Sunday night is not your typical thing, uh, but I want to urge you to be back on Sunday nights in February as we, there will even be something different for our children during that time, uh, particularly because of the sensitivity of the topics. But I, I just, I do, I want you to make that a high priority to be here on Sunday nights as we, we spend time considering these kinds of significant issues and matters uh, that are like, if, if you think they're just kind of happening out there and not, you no, know, like they are, they are at our doorstep. And, uh, and so they, they are things we need to be addressing and be concerned with. But these ladies, right, they had to choose between doing what was asked of them and doing what is right. We work to preserve life even if it costs our life, right? I mean, you do understand that these ladies were putting their life on the line. To, to defy the king, the, the pharaoh, would have been like a a clear demonstration that they were willing to die themselves. In fact, one professor reminded me of this. Today, January 8th, marks the 67th anniversary of the death of Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Ed McCulley, Pete Fleming, and Roger Uterin. The five missionaries that were speared to death in the jungles of Ecuador in 1956, they were all in their late 20s and in their early 30s. In subsequent years, Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's widow, and Rachel Saint, Nate's sister, went back to this very same tribe to continue their work of their family. Many among that tribe eventually came to faith in Christ. Before he died, Nate Saint, the the pilot, said this, The way I see it, we ought to be willing to die. In the military, we're taught that to obtain our objectives... We had to be willing to be expendable. Missionaries and all Christians must face that same expendability. That's why Jim Elliot has his famous quote, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. See, it's powerful for the way it restates a principle that we've learned from Jesus. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is similar certainly to the the words of Paul. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You see, for the the Christian, there is hope in every struggle. That's why we take death-defying actions because of an indestructible joy in Jesus Christ. So with Jim and Nate and Pete and Ed and Roger, and yes, even with the Apostle Paul, we say the one who gave his life for us is worthy of all of our praise, whether we live our lives for him or give our lives to him. Like We, we lay it all on the line for him. And if you don't, you're missing it. Missing it, this is what we do because we believe, right? We value the people of God. We preserve, we work to preserve life in this way, so we do whatever it takes for that to to be the case because the enemies of God work to end life. Because Pharaoh didn't like the answers there, so in verse 22 it says, Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile but let every daughter live. Side note, Pharaoh seemed not very scared of women being born. Yet, notice that it is precisely women that were bold enough to do what is right. Did you catch that? Midwives who protected the life, and we will see next week a mother and a sister who protected Moses in a basket. And I'm not saying that we should be afraid of women, Uh, But lest we join in the ridiculous thoughts of Pharaoh, we must have a much higher esteem for the women around us who are laying their lives on the line, who are willing to take these steps, willing to to say, I'll do whatever it takes to make Christ known in all the earth. Guys, maybe we should pay attention. Okay, back on track. When When we look at the enemy attempting to end life... This is the work of our enemy. This is what Satan does. He comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. I, 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 rem- I remember Acts 2. Right, it's the, it's the enemy of God that sent Jesus to the cross. Acts 2. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. See, this, this death, even working to end Jesus' life, Steal, to kill, to destroy. But when we look back to the cross, we remember that verse 23 of Acts chapter 2 is not the end. We look at verse 24. Because while verse 23 says, You crucified, you killed by the hands of lawless men, verse 24 begins, God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Church, when we look to the cross, we don't look to a cross with Jesus still on it. We look to an empty cross that represents an empty grave. You see, uh, today, we'll come to the Lord's table to to celebrate. And, and in some ways, that seems odd. Like we're, we're celebrating blood spilled and body broken. But why, why, would, we, why would we look there to, to death? Why would we celebrate death? Well, it's in Christ's death, in his spilling of blood, that we have what Scripture calls the remission of sins, the forgiveness of our sins. There is one God, and this one God is perfect in all his ways, created us, and as we see in the book of Genesis, made us, Then tells us to be fruitful and multiply. But all along the way, since Genesis 3, we've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. We offend this perfectly righteous creator God when we go our own way. We, we choose to, to like, think wrong thoughts and say wrong things and do wrong things. This is, this is our own sinful nature. We're sinners by birth and we're sinners by choice. This is who we are. But Christ, Christ came and lived a perfect life. The Son of God sent down to earth living a perfect life. And he never sinned. He never did wrong, never thought wrong, never acted wrong, never spoke wrong, none of those things. He lived a life that we could not live, dying the death, though, that we deserve to die. He took on our punishment for us. He actually died in our place to make atonement for us, that we could be one with God. So when we we come to the table... We don't come from a place of defeat. We don't come from a place of death. We come from a place of victory. Because Christ has won for us. Now, you, you and I, we must be ones in order to receive that victory, in order to receive that crown of new life, in order to to accept that. We have to actually receive that gift. In order to receive it, the scripture tells us that we must repent and believe or turn away from our sin and trust in Jesus. Trust in this one who died for us, conquered the grave for us. We believe in him. So if you are here today, if you're maybe you're a guest with us, or maybe you've been here for years and years and years, and you've never turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus, today is that day. Trust right now. Do not delay. Do not wait. You don't even have to come down the aisle. Right now, right where you are, trust in Jesus. Call out to him. I'm, I'm sorry for sinning against you. I'm sorry for thinking my way was right. Forgive me. I need you. Remember, Exodus is telling us what do we need God to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us, to bring us new life. We need him. So let let today be that day where you turn away from your own way and you trust in the only way, the truth and the life. Trust in him. If you are a follower of Christ already, then as you come to the table today, we have much to rejoice in, don't we? We rejoice that our God is so good to us, that in our deepest, darkest Need our desperation, He did not leave us alone, He came to us to deliver us, to rescue us, to redeem us, to restore us. He did all of this for us. So, when we come to the table, come with gladness, with gratitude. But I do want you to do this, though, Scripture. Tells us that it is not good for us to, to take of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And that, that means that we wouldn't want to come without that mindset of gratitude. And we can't have gratitude in one hand and bitterness in another. So maybe there's something in you that you need to confess to the Lord. Maybe there's forgiveness that you need to ask for or that you need to give. Maybe you need to, to release something in some way in order that you can come with that complete gratitude. And so if, if, as, if you're not ready for that and as the, the tray passes, it's okay for you to just let the tray pass. i say, I'm, today's not the day. I'm, I'm holding on to something else and I, I need to let it go. I just haven't yet. Use this time instead to to confess that before the Lord. Confess your need for him. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, you've not chosen to to follow after him, trust in Jesus, then again, for you, it would be wisest if you just let the tray pass. As you consider his death and resurrection, as you observe a church here participating in that, just see See the people of God cherishing the life that's been spilled for them. Maybe use this time to to maybe consider some of those things in your own heart and mind. But I want to ask you now um, to prepare your heart to receive this Lord's Supper. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward at this time and as they do, take time to pray and talk with the Lord, making confessions where they are needed. Church family, as the trays are passed, you'll you'll need to take two cups. They are stacked together. The bottom cup has the bread in it and the top has the the juice, Uh, but the the purple ones in the middle are for those in our church family who are gluten-free, have an allergy there, and so those are for them. So if you'll make sure those pass along as the deacons serve. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. He took a cup. When he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. want to invite you now to respond with us in praise and celebration as we look upon him who gave his life for us. Stand with me as we respond to the Lord.